What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. I mean, the only way I can describe it to you is the thought that just kept running through my head was, oh my gosh, what did I just sign up for? Welcome into another episode of Baseball America's interview series from Phenom to the Farm, where we're talking to former professional baseball players to reminisce about their playing days and what they learned on their journey from amateur ball to the professional ranks. I'm your host, Kyle Bandujo. Today, we are joined by former Oklahoma State right-hander and Brewers farmhand Jonathan Perrin. Jonathan was a preferred walk-on turned Friday night starter during his time at OSU, and he got up to AAA during his time in the minors, but today, along with his baseball career, we're talking about his post-playing days. Jonathan is currently an investment advisor and doing a lot of work with current and aspiring professional baseball players. With that background, we're talking about the financial side of the game on today's pod. Baseball gets a lot of flack for being a pretty expensive sport for a lot of its players all the way up until you get to the big leagues, and a lot of that flack is warranted. So Jonathan and I are going to dive into that pretty interesting conversation. If you're interested in that side of the game, you know, coming up all the way from amateur ball to uh, to how scholarships work in college, and then of course, you know, the the financial aspects of the minor leagues, this is going to be an episode I think you really like, really appreciate Jonathan. Uh, give me some time for that one. Episodes of From Phenom to the Farm drop every other Tuesday. If you've been enjoying this podcast, this episode, past episodes, subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Check out past interviews. And if you haven't yet, uh, please leave a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know uh, what you think of the show. Also, make sure to subscribe to BaseballAmerica.com and the BA Podcast feed for all amateur baseball and prospect news. We have We have reached Omaha after a year away. Uh, I think everyone is very excited for the College World Series. Joe Healy, Teddy Cahill, uh, J.J. Cooper have you covered with uh, with that College World Series coverage. And MILB season is off and running. Prospect hot sheets going every week. It's always a good time to be subscribed to Baseball America. And make sure you go subscribe to Future Projection. That's Carlos Colazzo, Ben Baller. That podcast is coming at you every week. And uh, for future guest info, this podcast you can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Banduho. But for now, let's talk to Jonathan Perrin. All right, joining in for today's episode from Phenom to the Farm, he was a 27th round pick of the Brewers in 2015 out of Oklahoma State, right-hand pitcher Jonathan Parent. Jonathan, thanks so much for joining from Phenom to the Farm. Hey, thank you very much for having me on. Super excited to get on here and uh, chat about the, the financial side of the game a little bit today. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I'm excited for this episode because we're going to have, you know, that running theme of the finances of baseball to go along with your your actual baseball career, because we connected not just because of your baseball career, but what you're doing now with investment advising and financial planning. Uh, tell me a little bit before we get into your career about uh, what you do as far as specifically when it comes to advising baseball players. Yeah, for what I do on a day-to-day basis right now especially is just prepping for the draft of a lot of the the guys who are currently in pro ball or in season so those guys are just they're concentrating on baseball big prep right now a little bit over a month before the draft uh kind of like we talked the other day uh, about getting guys ready deciding you know who's going to sign what the plan's going to be uh, on the financial side for for the money that's going to start coming in uh so a lot of prep work going on right now uh, and then also doing some stuff with more than baseball uh, with some financial guidance uh, programs that they have in place, uh, giving minor leaguers resources to help improve their financial situation as well. 
Awesome. Well, looking forward to this kind of a combination of your career story and then, you know, the financial aspects going up the ladder. As far as your athletic background going up, growing up, you're from Kansas. Uh, you are a you are a tall guy. You're listed at 6'5". Were you a baseball-only guy or was a basketball coach ever able to convince you to come stand in the post a little bit as a kid? Uh, yeah, growing up, I played pretty competitive, you know, tournament level basketball AAU type circuit stuff and then played football all through middle school and freshman year of high school as well um, and then after freshman year of high school I decided to go baseball only uh, so not not too deep into life as a multi-sport guy but uh, it's freshman year of high school is when I decided to switch over to concentrating just on baseball. And you ended up pitching in college. How early on did you embrace being a PO, being a, a pitcher only? So I, I was doing some background research uh, before you know before we started this podcast, and I watched a video on you that was made by someone at Oklahoma State. Kind of you know your story before getting to, to Oklahoma State, and in the video they absolutely ragged on you for being slow. They uh, they they basically just kind of described you as a very slow guy, which was interesting because you're a very athletic looking looking guy, and that being why you pitched. When did you turn? into a PO yeah so I was actually a catcher primary I was like a catcher closer early on in high school and then I had a back injury my sophomore year and the doctor was basically like well pitching or hitting you got to choose one and I was like a 240 hitter at that time in high school but I was pitching pretty well so that kind of made the decision pretty easy for me (laughs) as far as what I was going to do you need to reach out to whoever made that video, and because they they pointed it all to be your your foot speed, not uh not anything having to do with an injury. Well, the injury the injury helped, but the lack of foot speed definitely did not help my cause either. I was a late bloomer, uh, that is to say the least, when it came to a lot of my athleticism <laughs> that came to me later on in life. I can uh, I can relate with the slow foot speed thing, but um, you and I are about the about the around the same age at least. We kind of grew up in what is now really the showcase circuit. Like baseball has become a wildly expensive sport, a mostly year round sport, honestly, depending on where you live. And you know, I grew up in Texas, so it's pretty much every month except December. Uh, you know, and especially compared to football and basketball, with a, especially football, the the main games you play for recruitment and for you know the the things you look forward to are your your school games, your fall season. With baseball, it's year round. There's tons of tournaments. What was your experience with travel, with teams, equipment, gear, and what is the in your mind, kind of what's the financial, the real financial cost of, of keeping up with the Joneses in terms of your peers of, of playing baseball, especially when you get into high school and all those tournaments? Yeah, I think this is an issue that MLB is really recognized as a, as a serious threat to the growth of the game is, is things have definitely skewed towards, you know, the more expensive side as far as getting to the upper echelons of of being recruited and being scouted and getting your name entered into the draft and, and things like that. It, it costs money to be able to go to a lot of these events now. Um, and that was, that was a big thing. Even when I was in high school, you know, t- I graduated high school over 10 years ago now. So perfect game was still there. It's just grown since then. Um, and you've just seen more and more uh, Academy style, uh, programs popping up, offering things like recruiting services, lessons, uh, workouts. Uh, so it's just gotten a lot more intensive uh, over the last decade in particular since I've been in it um, than it used to be for sure. 
what was like, you know, in a typical year, like how many hotels are you staying at? How many, you know, how much travel goes in, especially from Kansas? I'd imagine you had to migrate to warmer weather pretty often being I, I've been in Kansas in February because of college ball. And I, I do not want to go back to Kansas in February. No, Kansas in February is definitely not the place to be. That is for sure. <laughs> um as far as travels go, I didn't do a ton of traveling until I got to kind of my junior and senior year of high school, actually. Um, I'm old enough to be one of the last people in the state of Kansas to have played American Legion ball uh, for my high school team my freshman and sophomore year. That is pretty much extinct now. It's all pay-to-play travel ball type stuff uh, instead of playing that Legion-type circuit through your school. Um, but then, to answer your question, that junior-senior year, I mean, it was probably, you know six to eight weekends out of the year where I was staying in a hotel, maybe getting on a plane or driving to wherever it was, uh, you know, hanging out and playing ball in whatever city I was in. And I think there's a lot of culture and peer pressure in that it's like, you need to do this stuff. If you don't do this stuff, you're not going to get seen or you're not going to go to the college you want and stuff like that. I think that's definitely, you know, the, the keeping up with the Joneses culture of baseball, really. Um, in that, you know, you need, if you don't go to all these showcase tournaments, you're in trouble. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's a business as well too. So those showcase tournaments and those scout, you know, those recruiting services and, and all these different scouting combines, et cetera, they're running businesses. And if they can show that they're going to help get eyeballs on you and help you with the recruiting process, that's, they're going to charge for it. And that's, that's what you're seeing. But it's, the problem is it's becoming increasingly, uh, more of a pay-to-play type system where, you know, if you have enough money, you can get you can get on the right teams, you can get the right instructions, and, and have an advantage, a competitive advantage over players who do not come from the same socioeconomic background. Well, let's talk about your recruitment. Like when it came to college or the the next level, what was your goal in terms of kind of what was in your sights? I think every you know every player would like to say, "I'd love to be the number one overall pick," but I think most guys make lofty but realistic goals, kind of based on their skill level or based on what they feel their potential is. What were you planning or hoping for as far as your future as you got into that? junior senior year oh I don't know man I was pretty I was pretty out there like looking back (laughs) on some of the some of the things that I remember saying to coaches like on recruiting visits and things like about my goals like I think a lot of coaches probably thought I was insane but I remember telling coaches I wanted to throw 98 and and wanted to you know play 15 years in the big leagues and all you know super lofty goals but uh the number one thing that i really just felt deep down in my heart going into my recruiting process is like i know i can eventually play at the division one level um so that was something that i kind of held on to and and actually turned down a couple pretty solid offers from other places to kind of wait that out and bet on myself uh and it ended up working out for me what was your if signing late in the game how late in the game did you sign because i know now you know if you check the social media of a lot of high school prospects. There's kids in the class of 23, 2024 who already have college commitments. When did, when did you and Oklahoma state become a match? Yeah. So it's just continued to get earlier and earlier. That even started when I was in high school, it was more like sophomore, junior year, but you'd still see a lot of those early recruitments. Um, I was actually committed to a junior college, my whole senior, senior season. I committed in the fall of my senior year to a Allen County community college in Kansas. Um, and actually turned down multiple Division II offers, um, you, know, Empor- you know, all the MIAA, Emporia State, um, uh, Central Missouri, places like that. Um, 
and I told the coach, I was just like, you know, I, I, this is a great offer. You know, it's probably dumb of me to turn this down, but I'm going to hold out because I've got this Juco commitment. And I think that I can either sign as a, as a late signee at a division one or go to Juco for a year or two and then play division one. Um, and luckily for me, I had started going to camps at Oklahoma state in the fall of my junior year. So I'd been to two camps and then my senior summer. So actually about a month and a half before freshman year of college started is when uh, I went down there and threw, uh, threw really well, went down the next week and we played at Wichita State and they came up and watched me there, threw the ball really well there. Um, and then on the drive home, that was when they offered me the spot uh, in July of 2011. <laughs> So like three and a half weeks before school started. So how much of their 11.7 scholarships did they have left over for you? So they, I was an academic uh, only guy my freshman year. So I was a preferred walk-on. It was you have a baseball roster spot, but all of your scholarship money is academically related. So what had happened was is they had had a couple guys sign in the draft. So they lost a couple roster spots, but they gave scholarships to current players but they wanted to fill a roster spot with a preferred walk-on position uh, so that was my role because my grades were good enough uh, it allowed me to get an academic scholarship and get the roster spot at OSU. So how many guys at, at your time at OSU and then just kind of in general in college how many guys are usually actually getting those 11.7 baseball scholarships because there is more than 11.7 players on a college baseball team there's usually north of 25. Yeah, so the travel roster is 27, and the total active roster is 35. So as you can see, that's not going to give everybody a full scholarship. And it's actually kind of funny because, you know, guys and especially athletes, you know, and young college athletes, you know, they tend to fib when it comes to the scholarship numbers that they are getting to come to school there to make themselves seem more important. And so guys, you'll be like, oh, I'm on 70%. Oh, I'm on 60%. Oh, I'm on 90%. And you start doing the math, you know, for those guys that knew the rules, and you're like, hmm, somebody's lying here because this adds up to about 14. <laughs> doing the uh, doing the, the team math there. So how many guys do you think, you know, on a typical college team are, are paying, actually end up paying a decent chunk out of pocket or at least, you know, maybe taking out student loans? A lot. Oh, more than not, I would think, are, are paying something out of pocket. Um, it's not like football or basketball where it's a headcount sport. I mean, of the 11.7, you're probably looking at 20. That's probably spread out between 25 or 30 guys. Um, so you're looking at a lot of, you know, 30, 40%, 50% baseball money scholarships. And then where you where coaches try to get creative is you can stack them on top of academic scholarships, which uh, happened on with me later on in school to cover the rest. And one thing that comes with the the big disparities in college is obviously, you know, you, you walk into an Oklahoma State pitching staff as a preferred walk-on. There are guys on that staff getting getting big scholarship, guys that the, the program has invested into because you have to make, because of the, you know, the 11.7 scholarships, you have to make those dollars count. You have to spend that money on the right guys if you want to be successful. What is the the mental side of being, you know, being a preferred walk-on and walking into that as a freshman? Oh, it was, it was tough. It was extremely challenging just because I was a little overmatched at first, but I just was super happy to be there. It was my dream school. Uh, so I just really tried to embrace the challenge as much as I could. Uh, it was actually really funny. I had a, I had a 
a pretty crazy experience with one of my teammates in the in the dugout one time. It was a fall scrimmage. I'm pitching. I was scheduled for two innings. Uh, I threw the first inning, scoreless inning, come walking back in the dugout, sitting on the bench, and uh, all the freshmen had all the same gear. We had all the same two T-shirts, and then all the upperclassmen had all the different swag from the years past. And I go up to our shortstop, and you know, I was like, hey, man, that's a really cool shirt. I can't wait to get a couple of those. Like, we get those after we get back from winter break, right? And, uh, you know, and I'm pitching, mind you, and he looks over at me deadpan and just goes, <laughs> you ain't got to worry about that. You're getting cut. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, oh, gosh. Uh, but, you know, so it was just a little freshman freshman orientation for me. Luckily for me, I didn't get cut. Uh, but you just had to stay positive and continue to work on your craft every day, even when you're not uh, getting a chance to pitch in the games. You still got to put your work in on the side, in the bullpen, and, and in the live batting practices when you get a chance to face some hitters uh, in between games. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing about fall baseball, and especially being a walk-on. Like, I, I walked on in school as well, and – you you go in with a certain number of, of guys in your freshman class, and you are not coming out at the end of that year with the same number of guys in your freshman class. No, we had eight, and we finished with five, and then by the end of the senior year, we had three of us. That is that is how it goes. So when um you know you throw you get to throw a little bit as a freshman, probably I'd, I'd imagine as a preferred walker, you're probably thrilled to to actually get some mound time at that point. Um. You, when it comes into your your sophomore year, you've you've adjusted a little bit to the level. Uh, you're you know you're not a freshman anymore. What are the kind of the ins and outs of earning a job in the bullpen, and how much of that? I, I know for me, sometimes it was it was high pressure, especially in the early season opportunities. Not because of the game scenario, but more of if I don't get these outs, I might not be back on the hill for a while. Yes, that is a hundred percent a fact in college baseball because. You know, once you get into the season, scholarship or not, whoever's getting outs and whoever's hot, that's who's in the game. That's who's in the lineup. Like, that's just how college baseball works because it's, you know, at the Division One level, it's a 56-game season. It's even shorter at the lower levels. So you got to go with the hot hand. So it is true. I mean, uh, I remember my freshman year, my third outing of the year just didn't go so well, had two walks, and then I just didn't pitch again for a month and a half. Like, that's just kind of the nature of the beast when you're a young player and you have a couple struggles early. Um, but if you, but on the flip side of that coin, uh, what happened to me my sophomore year is I came out and I had three really good outings to start the year. And then they just kept using me and using me and using me. And I got into a rhythm and ended up having over 20 appearances that year. So it, it can definitely go both ways. That year you, yeah, you ended up with 20, you know, you pitched in 23 games, you had a three, two ERA. So a solid year. So you've gone from, freshman walk on with some academic money preferred walk on to you're you're a guy out of that bullpen and you're coming back for your junior year does the how, how does the scholarship situation work in your mind like when you're having your exit meeting is it something that you you bring up to to your coach or you you know you mention it all and saying like hey am i you know do am i worthy of scholarship or is it something you just got to kind of sit and wait for Yes, yeah, so that that was a conversation I had to have twice. So after my freshman year, I had a really good summer, but over the summer, our coaching staff got fired. So we had brand new coaches, and you have one set of promises made by a coaching staff that was just got fired, and then a coaching staff coming in trying to piece together their roster. So my sophomore year, again, was the preferred walk-on because Coach Holiday came in and was like, hey, like 
you know, we'll have you back, but we just, we don't know what we really have. You know, you have academic money. We're not going to, we're not going to put you on baseball money just yet. So had that good sophomore year, came back and just, again, scholarships were tight. So they actually told me, you know, we're not going to give you a scholarship. And it, I had to go home and make a decision. I kind of talked to my parents. I was like, well, if they're not going to offer me a scholarship, you know, should I transfer? Like, you know, I kind of felt a little slighted by that. But uh, at the end of the day, Oklahoma State was where I wanted to be and financially, you know, between my academic money and, and money saved up from my family, we were able to make that work. Um, and I decided to go back for my junior year on just academics again. You can't, you wouldn't imagine that happen in, in like college football or something. Like if a guy, you know, if a guy makes a couple special teams tackles as a walk on for Alabama, they get, you know, you get that, that guy getting put on scholarship video that goes viral on Twitter or something like that. Like in baseball, you know, you had just thrown 47 good innings and, and couldn't get that scholarship, but you go into your junior year and on on paper, your junior year looks awesome. Pitching twenty one games, you start thirteen games. You have a two three. How did that? Were you? Did you pitch your way into the rotation? Was it a mix of both? How did that come about? Yeah. So my junior year was a really good one. My my junior fall was probably the best I'd ever thrown in my entire career. Like I was on, I was locked in, dialed in from the get go. Had a really good fall. Told my coach from the get-go, as soon as I walked on campus, I wanted to compete for a starting position. Um, and then got to the start of the year, and we just had a couple seniors that had earned the right to get for starts to start the year. So I came out of the bullpen. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Uh, my first few weeks of the season, did everything I was supposed to do, had some good starts, uh, and then once conference play got going, uh, Coach Walton pulled me aside a couple days before and told me I was going to start on Fridays moving forward. And then uh, once I got that Friday job my junior year, I uh, pitched that whole year every Friday, came back the next year and, and pitched every Friday again as a senior as well. Well, in between that junior and senior year, you get taken by the Tigers in the 33rd round of the draft. How did you, why did you make the decision to go back to Oklahoma State? And did after turning in a year where you're the, you turn into the Friday starter, you record a 2 3 ERA, did you then walk into Coach Holiday's office with your hand held out and say, I would like that scholarship now, please? Uh, yes, I did. <laughs> uh, but leading up to that, yes, yeah, so the, the draft was not very kind to me. Um, I definitely, I had good numbers. Uh, my underlying stuff was just not necessarily what pro scouts were looking for. The fast, my fastball was ranging anywhere from, you know, 86, 87 to 93, and it had a big range. Um, you know, breaking ball was there, but just not enough consistent velocity in that, you know, 91, 93 range to really get taken very high. So I slid down to the 33rd round, and I got offered 35000 in school to sign, and I basically just did the numbers on a cost benefit of what going back to school would look like versus, you know, if I signed for 35,000 and, and went and got it paid for by the Tigers. Um, and at, that was the point where I was like, okay, I need to, you know, talk to the Tigers. So I need a couple of days to think about that. And then, yes, that's when I went into coach holiday's office and coach holiday didn't even, I didn't even need to really ask the question. He just sat me down and said, John, you know, we want you back. 
what do we need to do to to get you back and i just said you know i want i want a full boat i don't want to pay for anything this year and that was it <laughs> and i didn't have to pay for anything my senior year <laughs> got a full boat much different than the uh it's much different to go into coach's office when you have financial leverage from someone else um you and i kind of talked i mean before we started recording this we uh last week and talked about you know guys doing what you did and making the the financial decisions and stuff like that when you look back to your sophomore year and you know having to you know you you having to weigh those options and and deciding to go back to Oklahoma State it can be and I speak from experience it could be a scary thing to go talk to your coach and ask for money or go talk to your coach and ask for literally anything what if you could go back and speak to sophomore year you and kind of at least like build build that guy up or prep him for that conversation about why you might deserve scholarship money then or, or something like that because it I mean it, it stinks to be told no is there is there a better way to to go about it is it something that you would encourage other college guys to do like ask you know ask for your money yeah I mean for me it was just I just had a very adult conversation in the in the exit meeting I just said you know we he said what he said about my performance and. They liked what I was doing. And for me, it was just, I knew what I was going to ask. And I, I went in there and I said, yeah, coach, I appreciate all the kind words that, uh, you know, I'm, and I just said it, I was like, I'm not on a baseball scholarship right now. I just wanted to see, you know, what, what that option might look like for next year, if there's anything available. And, you know, if you don't get the answer you, you want to hear, you have to at least have a coherent response and a mature response and, and hold your water in the room um, and just be a classy about it. You know what I mean? You got to be able to handle yourself when you get told no. I want to talk about a little, just real quick about the, the mental side that goes into being the Friday night guy, because in, in college Friday night guy means you're going, you're typically every week, especially in conference, you're going against the other team's dude. Um, you're, you're going against that ace. So it's not only, obviously you want to perform your best no matter when you pitch, but it's also, there's got to be a thought in there of this other guy is probably going to deal too. And if we want to win this game, because in college, everything is about the win. If we want to win this game, um, I need to, I need to be elite. What is the, is there extra added pressure being the Friday guy? Oh yeah, for sure. It's why it's the best. There's nothing better than getting a roll into town or have somebody roll into your place Friday night under the lights, biggest crowd of the weekend. Half the time we were playing on ESPN or Fox sports. You know, and you get to you get to face the best guys. I mean, that's that's what you want as a competitor. Uh, you get to face the best, and if you beat the best, you are the best. So it, it was always so much fun getting to you know be that guy, and then get to compete against the other dudes for other schools. Is there a is there a certain matchup or a certain you know a fri- someone you squared off against where that that you might have looked forward to even a little more than um you know than just a normal game? Yeah, TCU and us were have continued to be, you know, top top end of the conference year in, year out. Um, you know, and they got first or second all three years I played with Coach Holiday, so sophomore through senior year, we were one two. And I faced Brandon Finnegan uh in two thousand fourteen, like six months before he was pitching in the World Series, uh, when he was at TCU and he got me three to two. I went I went eight innings and he went seven, I think is what it was, or he went six and I went seven, but I still got the loss. So that that was one of my more memorable pitching matchups. 
um, in college. So you you finish out your senior year. You you know you're a you're a starter. You get you get taken again in the twenty seventh round. This time you really have no choice. You you sign. And I want to go kind of right into you know you were just talking about games where every week you're going against Brandon. You know guys like Brandon Finnegan. You're trying to pitch for a conference title. You're trying to pitch to to get you know to regionals, super regionals. What was the experience of heading of signing after your senior year and then heading to the complex league and heading to low A? What was the how, how do you compare the intensity levels in, in those situations? I mean, the only way I can describe it to you is the thought that just kept running through my head was, oh, my gosh, what did I just sign up for? <laughs> <laughs> Were you you wishing there was an option for maybe a fifth a fifth go around at Oklahoma State? Oh my gosh, I was I couldn't believe it was you know you talk about going from a you know power five school with immaculate facilities and a lot of resources to um, getting off of a bus a Greyhound bus at a truck stop in Beloit, Wisconsin, reporting to Loe a month later. <laughs> It was uh, it was definitely crazy to me that it it didn't feel like a step back. It felt like three steps back going from from Division One college baseball to Low A. What was the typical hotel stay like for a Big Twelve series, and then what was the hotel stay like for a Midwest League series? Well, in the Big Twelve, I mean, it was you know nothing crazy except for the Big Twelve tournament was always at like a nicer hotel, like a Marriott or something. But you staying at you know Holiday Inn you know, comfort in something like that. Usually a uh, pretty nice spot. You get two guys in a room, but just pretty standard, nothing crazy, but nice, you know? And then you go to low a and I'm reporting again, to Beloit, Wisconsin, and I'm staying at the road dog Inn. <laughs> the road you know? dog Inn. Yeah. So, you know, and it definitely looked like it may have had bed bugs and a lot of smokers in there at one point. So, uh, it was it was definitely a, a shock to me at the difference in amenities from college to pro ball. And what did kind of managing? What did your paychecks look like? Like what was your what was your living situation, especially in the low minors? Well, in the low minors, luckily in low A, I had a host family, um, which really helped. And then in high A, we had an apartment set up where we had a, we had three beds and a laundry room, and one guy set up the laundry room is a bedroom. So we were able to save money by squeezing a couple extra bodies in there. Um, but it was, you know, 11 to 1500 bucks a month down there in the lower levels. I mean, it's, it's super low. I just want to, so I heard that right. You squeeze so, someone was sleeping in the laundry room. Yeah. Somebody put a, a mattress down in the laundry room and that was their bedroom for the entire season. <laughs> that is, that is wild. I just want to say the road dog Inn has a deceivingly nice website. So, uh, <laughs> had to had to give it a little look up there. Maybe maybe they've made some updates since I've been there last. I don't know. I hope so. Looks like the restaurant they offer a nice little breakfast plate. So I don't know. Maybe we might might need to give hey, the road dog in another restaurant. Another the restaurant was for sure the best part of the whole thing. That that was a good omelet there. I'll give them that. I'll give them credits where credit is due to the road dog in. At least they had they had something going for them. So you signed as a you signed as a senior. You were a starter for most of the second half of your college career. Um, you know, you're a late round pick, but late round picks, picks make it to the big leagues every year. What did you see is, is your path to getting there? Did you give yourself any sort of timeline of, you know, I, I think I can make it to the big leagues by this amount of time? 
Yeah, I, I gave myself a real accelerated timeline. As soon as I felt like I was going backwards, I was pretty much done because I knew, I knew what the chances were. I knew what the odds were. And I knew that you had to have a lot of momentum in order for a lower round pick to get up there. So, um, and that's kind of what I did. I mean, my first couple of years, I moved pretty quickly. Uh, my timeline was like, you know, if I'm not sitting on the cusp at 25, I'm probably going to retire. Um, and that was kind of what I did. I mean, I moved quickly, uh, got all the way up to AAA at age 24, uh, and then just kind of hit that wall. Guys started to pass me up and then uh, got released by the Royals and then just kind of fizzled out there. And then once once the pandemic hit, I didn't want to go back to indie ball. Um, and I was 26, so I was like, okay, it's the, it's the time to go at that point. So I definitely did kind of put a expiration date on my career. And when did you start working towards your job after? At what point? Because I know when we talked, you started looking at beyond baseball while you were still playing. What did you do to set yourself up for post-baseball? Well, the biggest thing that I did was go back to school for my senior year because I did two things that senior year. Uh, one is I had elbow surgery. So I actually went back to school and in the fall had a elbow debridement on a bone spur uh, to get myself healthy for my senior year. So I got myself healthy, but the thing about surgery is when you wake up and your arm is stuck at a 90-degree angle for a month, it starts to make you re- rethink your priorities as a baseball player. Uh, so I really, really focused in on my schoolwork. Uh, kind of got a little bit more aware of the world and that kind of set me on a path of wanting to make sure I was good outside of baseball. Um, so I kind of always had side projects. My first off season, I took the LSAT and got accepted to law school. Um, and then after that, I kind of started reading about investing um, and just started diving into that uh, my second year on while I was still playing. So when you get up to, you know, you when you get up to AAA and you're, you know, you're in the bullpen, you, you see yourself getting passed up by guys. What, what kind of keeps, what kept you going at that point? You had set that, that timeline for yourself, but, um, you know, did you, did you work, you know, even before the pandemic, did you work in the off season? Did you start to try to, did you find yourself kind of one foot in one foot out of, of this baseball thing? Yeah, I wouldn't call it one foot in, one foot out, but I was definitely working towards setting myself up. I actually got my Series 65 license in February of 2018. So my last two-plus years as an active baseball player, I was actually a licensed money manager, too, and was managing money for some friends and teammates uh, at the time. So in that sense, I guess I was one foot in, one foot out, because I did have two technical career tracks at that point. Um but baseball was still my primary focus, but I just knew that I was going to have something that I could transition to pretty smoothly whenever it was time to go and hang it up. And when you work with players now, both and and guys who are in the in the minors, um, there's there's a certain and it's something you and I have talked about kind of I mean, just the time value of money. Um, and how long you can afford to to stick around in baseball, especially if you know you're a high school guy and you have some, you know, you've got a lot of schooling left to do if if that's something you want to go back to. That's a that's a significant time investment, especially the older you get up. Is there, you know, what what do you advise guys who are you know kind of in the same position you're in? You get to the high minors. 
you kind of stall, you might not have a huge bonus to fall back on. Or, you know, if you signed 10 years ago, like a lot of, you can be 28 years old and have been in pro ball for 10 years and you're stuck in AAA and that first advance payment uh, might not be, might not be floating the bills as much as it did when you were, you know, 22, 23. Yeah, that's the key is, I mean, it kind of goes, we were having a little conversation earlier is how many of those guys that get those scholarships, you know, actually finish because like you said, you can play, you know, seven, eight, ten years in the minor leagues and be, you know, if you sign out of high school, you're 28 years old. You play all you've done for the last decade is play baseball. And now what skills do you have to go out and join the workforce? You know, you're probably going to have to go do that schooling. So uh, for me, it was just, I'm really thankful that I went back and finished the schoolwork before I played just because that made my transition so much smoother. I couldn't imagine getting out of school last March or out of pro ball last March and having to go back to school like that would just that would have been so hard. And what kind of financial shape were you in, you know, even when you reached the high minors at the end of each year? Were you at break even? Were you going into debt to keep playing baseball? What was the you know, how did how did the balance sheet look towards the end of the year? Well, my balance sheet was okay because the one thing that was my saving grace is I had zero student loan debt. So I didn't I didn't have a car payment either. Like I just didn't have any debt. So my balance sheet was clean. So I was actually able to save some money even while I was playing. It wasn't much, but be, between, you know, my salary and just being a cheap human being in general and then giving lessons and I can really respect that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then just doing lessons in the off season, waiting tables, uh, eventually, you know, doing investment advising uh, to make some money on the side, like just doing things to make ends meet. Um, and then my last two years, winter ball really helps because you can actually make some nice money over there. Uh, so that actually helped float the bills a lot for me as I got into the high minors with playing winter ball. Yeah, you threw 11 innings in the Dominican Winter League in the, the winter of 2018, and then you threw... Uh, nine innings in Mexico and 10 innings in the, in the Dominican the, the year after that for those, you know, 40 or so innings, how much different was the money versus the innings you were thrown in double A AA? triple A? Oh dude, it was not even close. I mean, first of all, like they just pay, they pay you in cash. Like they don't even, it's just straight envelopes full of cash. And it was thousands of dollars a month. I mean, my first year in winter ball, it was 9000 for the month, and I stayed for six weeks. And then uh, my second year in the Dominican, I got 12000 a month, and we made the playoffs, so I got a playoff bonus. So I ended up making like $15,000 for one month down there. <laughs> and then in Mexico, it was the same thing. It was like eight grand for the month. And how would you describe the atmosphere and like the actual – I guess the fun factor of the games compared to, you know, games in double A. It's way closer to a soccer game. Latin American baseball is just like, it is totally different. Like their culture and the way they play the game at the big league level and some of that stuff that they kind of, they get hated on for a little bit. Like everyone does that there. It's amazing. Like the, the raw energy and passion that they bring to the game every single night is honestly amazing and i love i love the latin culture in the game and i i love both those countries and getting to experience that so you you hang it up post pandemic if you could go back and talk to yourself uh signing out oklahoma state before your professional career would would you give yourself any decent any any different advice because it sounds like you had a plan in mind is there anything you would tell yourself with with hindsight uh to benefit 
Uh, yeah, enjoy it a little bit more. Don't get so caught up in in the in the end goal. Enjoy it a little bit more, and continue to stay in touch. Just stay in better touch with some of your teammates. Like I've stayed in touch with a, a lot of teammates, but just I think it would. I just miss a lot of guys, and just being able to stay in touch and, and check in and, and keep developing those relationships that you build through that bond of of being in the locker room together. Uh, that would be my biggest thing. Is just focus even more on the relationship side of it because that's the part that you're going to miss the most when you're out. Got a little rapid fire for you, and then I'll let you get out of here. Sounds good. Hit me. Favorite Big 12 ballpark? You cannot say Oklahoma State. Oh, uh, then I would have to go with TCU. That's a very nice ballpark. My my wife will be very happy to hear that. She is a TCU alumnus. Uh, toughest Big 12 crowd to pitch in front of? Texas Tech. Those guys are relentless. That is just a tough, Lubbock is just a tough city in general. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Nightmare bus ride story from the minor leagues. Everyone has at least one. Oh, man. In the minor leagues, it was the 4th of July, and we were in AA, so playing in Biloxi, Mississippi, and we were playing in Jackson, Mississippi, uh, or no, excuse me, Birmingham. We were playing in Birmingham, Alabama, and... Post-game fireworks go off 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night, and it's summer, middle of July, Alabama. It's 95 and sticky outside, and we get on this five-hour bus ride home, and there's no AC. <laughs> like, there's no AC. There's no bus coming to get us. They just told us, hey, you got to wear this five-hour sticky bus ride to get us back home for the day off tomorrow. <laughs> oh, everyone's got a nightmare bus story. It might yeah, be my we, favorite part of doing this podcast. Yeah, we had multiple near fights that night. Everybody was just tired and grumpy. <laughs> Would you rather beat OU, Texas, or someone else? Like, who's the what's the, who's the ultimate win against? Oh man, OU. That's you have to say that. But horns down too, man. I just want to beat both those teams. <laughs> Last thing, we'll go financial themed. What are the three worst things that a guy can buy with his signing bonus? Brand new car. Uh, any excess jewelry, more than one, just buy one of anything. And then the third worst thing you can do is buy a boat. Just any depreciating asset, really. Just don't do it. <laughs> Jonathan Parent, thanks so much for joining from Phenom to the Farm. Uh, tell the folks where they can find you if they're looking for financial advice. Absolutely. So um, on social media, Twitter, Instagram, uh, jparent 46 uh, you can look up www.waterfrontadvisors.com uh, for more investment-related content as well. Awesome. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks very much, Kyle. You have a good one. You too. And that's it for today's episode of From Phenom to the Farm. Huge thanks to Jonathan for taking the time walking us through the financial side of baseball. Uh, give Jonathan a follow on Twitter, especially if you're someone who you know could use some help managing that bread. Uh, also, make sure you subscribe to this podcast. Rate and leave a review if you're on Apple Podcast. Episodes come out every other Tuesday. Uh, and you know, go check out all the past interviews if you haven't yet. Also, remember it is a great time to be subscribed to BaseballAmerica.com. College World Series coming up. Prospect Hot Sheet coming out every week. Always a good time. We'll catch you in two weeks. Thanks for listening. special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.